0: Thank you for spending some time with us on Let's Talk with Scott Ellis. Today we'll hear from Nathaniel Warner, the author of The Fountain of Youth, a book that I narrated for him with the help of Kay Inslee. We'll also hear from Chip Hughes, the author of the Surfing Detective series, as we step into A Funny Thing Happened on the way to production. Let's get going. In this episode, we are talking with a first-time author who was deeply afraid of writing, but he had a story in his head that just wouldn't go away. He couldn't let go of it, and he did what I wish all of us could do. He faced his fears, and he just did it. His book is called The Fountain of Youth, Stories from the Free City, Book 1, which kind of says to me there might be a book, too. It's available on Kindle in paperback, and in audio, narrated by myself with the help of Kay Inslee. Nathaniel Warner, it's a pleasure to have you on Let's Talk with Scott Ellis. Thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for the invite. I'm super excited. I love talking about uh, my book and uh, about uh, writing in general in hopes that uh, it inspires others to uh, step up and face uh, the fears that are associated with creativity and um, just go out and create something special.
0: Well, there certainly is a lot to talk about with this book, and I can't imagine the process that it took, and we'll kind of hear more about it as we go through. If the title of the book sounds familiar to those listening to the podcast, we did have a chance to talk with Kay Inslee about her approach to some of the female characters of this book. So it's been talked about before. But before we get into the actual book and what was happening in it, I need to know, what made you finally decide to take that leap and do it? You know, some people are afraid of skydiving. They never do it. Some people are afraid of being eaten by sharks, so they never swim in the ocean. You were afraid of writing, but you did it. You overcame it. What was that final hurdle that you said, that's it, I'm over it, I'm writing? Yeah, um, and it's
1: really weird because I don't know exactly the moment where, to myself, I said, okay, let's just do this. Um, but man, I had this story in my head, and it was growing, and, and I, I'd probably been just dwelling on it for you know five years, like half a decade, just thinking about it, thinking about really the end and how I wanted the end to be. And I had tried writing before, and I, I wrote a kind of I wrote like ten thousand words, which isn't you know it's it's a good amount. And I shared it with my wife, and um, something interesting happened right there. She was like, "This isn't good at all." Um, sh- she was like, "This is not not great." Um, And I was like, okay, that made me realize that that wasn't the story I wanted to tell. And this one that had been in my head, I wanted to give that an honest shot. And I just made it a a new year's resolution going into 2020, not knowing that we'd all have a lot of extra time in 2020, but I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. And on new year's Eve, literally the second it rolled over to 2020, I wrote the first page and I went to sleep. And then I was like, I came back the next day and the next morning, I read it and I was like, Okay, I, I did that. Now let's see if I can add another page. And so I just just started, uh, and and that in that decision is where I kind of found the the confidence to do it. But even about halfway through, I was still like, I don't I don't think I can do this. Um, so it was it was an interesting uh, process.
0: The ideas that you had to have in your head, and uh, for those that haven't read the book yet, um, we need to talk about the setting of the book because it's kind of in the past kind of in the future, kind of with a sci-fi bent. How would you describe how you came up with these settings and why you decided to put them together in this way?
1: Yeah, so I wanted to have the main character telling the story. um, And I wanted it to be in a time that was really disconnected from when the events happened. So that as the reader, when you you get started, you're in this kind of futuristic world. I like, go, oh, this is cool. Where, when, how, what's going on? And then immediately jump into World War II. And you're like, wait a minute, how long has this been? And so there's like that mystery of it. And I, and I don't think I hide too much, right, with the title of the book, right? I'm kind of, you know, putting it out there, like at the Fountain of It's like something's going to happen here. But I wanted the story, the readers to know the story was from Jack's point of view, so that as you're reading it, like you always know, okay, is this what? actually happened or is this jack's perception of what happened so that whole book is put through jack's lens and so if you take a book and put it from any other character's point of view which i do sometimes like i i have them tell jack what happened when he wasn't around you get a slightly different story so i thought i thought that was interesting just being up front with the reader saying hey something's going to happen here there's obviously a disconnect between uh where you start the book and where the story starts and you as the reader are going to figure
0: out how they got there
1: and so that's that's why I, I chose that. And I thought it was a an interesting, um, like framing device for the story.
0: Let's take a couple of minutes and and listen to a scene uh, where this scene is set during World War II. And why don't you, as the author, you know it best. Can you set this scene for us that we're going to listen to? Uh,
1: yeah. So like so many other, uh, you know, young adults during that time, Jack, as soon as Pearl Harbor happened, Jack enlisted. and. He's essentially done done all of his training up to this point to be, uh, you know, essentially a, a, a Marine, right? He's gone through basic, he's done all the jungle training, and now he's being sent off to actually go fight. And like so many others, it happens with an ocean uh, crossing, and he's there with, you know, the love of his life, who is also enlisted to be a nurse for the nursing corps, or the Red Cross. And so it's just coincidence that they're there together on this like same journey, both going to kind of different places. But it all changes, right? In a moment, like life changes on you. And uh, this is that exact moment to where their story starts differing for so many, from so many others that lived that path along you know, that World War II history.
0: All right, let's take a listen. Incoming! Several people yelled in tandem, carrying above all other noise. Incoming! The torpedo just missed sweeping past the bow of the ship and out of Jack's view. For a moment, he felt elation. "'The torpedo missed!' he yelled excitedly at Abel. Abel did not respond, staring out across the ocean toward where Jack had seen the submarine. "'Incoming!' This time, it didn't miss hitting the bow of the ship in a head-on collision. The explosion was deafening. In that instance, Jack thought he was dead. The world was spinning, growing dark and cold. But he wasn't dead. Somehow, he was lying on his back on the chilly, wet deck. He didn't even remember falling. The world rocked back into view as Jack stared into the starry night sky. His ears ringing mouth and throat aching from breathing in the harsh smoke billowing out of the bow of the ship. He was surprised it was still afloat. "'Abandon ship!' he heard the deckmaster yell, as a different, more frantic alarm whirled to life. "'Abandon ship, you worthless bastards! Abandon ship!' Jack's only thought. Was finding Blue. He had to find Blue. Jumping up, he raced into the flaming wreckage, knocking into bulkheads and the frightened people scurrying past. His balance was still off-kilter from the torpedo strike, but he knew, during an action drill, Blue would be in the infirmary. He hoped she was still there, desperate to find her there. Fear was the only thing keeping him plunging deeper into the raging inferno. Fear is what pushed others to leave it. His fear was different. Yes, he was afraid of dying, of course he was. It wasn't until that moment he realized the truth. He was scared of losing Blue more." Nate, what an interesting scene where you've got these characters that are fearing absolutely for their lives, but Jack in this one moment realizes what is most important to him
1: yeah and, and that's why I really love it right like it, immediately this is this is really early in the book um, and I'm I'm showing you what's important to this character and what motivates him through the rest of the book and every decision that he makes is towards that goal right protecting and saving blue and and um, he learns along the way that a lot of decisions don't end well right there's a lot of consequences for the decisions you make. Um, so I thought it was just an interesting character bit, right? As this world is on fire, he's trying to save one thing, right? And it's not even himself. So I thought it was a really good character moment for him.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. So this audiobook book runs uh, about nine hours. It's available on audible.com, Amazon, and Apple Books. And uh, if anybody is interested in in listening to it, it certainly is a fantastic and very well-written story. And if you email us at scottellisreads.com or info at scottellisreads.com, uh, we still have a couple of copies that we can give away for free in exchange for an honest review. So I hope that some folks will reach out and, and be able to listen to this. So I don't want to spoil the story, but obviously, you know, a couple of people are going to live through this, uh, <laughs> this horrific attack, and they're going to continue the story. Nate, can we talk about your process of, of characters and who are they? Are they people from your life? How do you keep them straight? Do you come up with little things? Oh, ooh, somebody's going to say this somewhere in the book and, and write them down. How do you keep all of that as you're going through the writing process?
1: Uh, yeah. So in this first book, the characters, I honestly had no clue what I was going um, to do, to be honest. And I started, I had some ideas of characters I wanted to be, they all had different names in the first kind of version of the book. And then I realized like the names really didn't fit their personality. Um, So I changed a good amount of them. In this first book, the characters, uh, most of them are based off essentially personality traits of mine. I felt that was the easiest. So, uh, you know, uh, Ruth, Kenny, Abel, Tony, Jack, they're all parts of me. um, And I just took one part and kind of blew it up and that was their core personality. But characters um, like uh, Blue and uh, Pahlia, those are based on, like Blue's based on my wife and uh, is based on my wife's mother. So uh, based on people I know, um, I think I thought it was the easiest, but yeah, I, I, just, I just went with an idea. I'm like, okay, here's your core personality trait. Let's see what that's like. And then as you're writing the dialogue, um, because I used kind of parts of me, I was able to say, okay, how would this part of me respond in this situation? And then that's how I wrote the dialogue between the characters and especially with Jack and like uh, Tony, who really didn't get along in the book. Um, I I just was like, okay, how how would one side of my personality deal with the side of my personality I don't like? And so that's how I I really kind of interacted with those characters. And it was it was hard because it's also kind of facing some of those things about yourself that you don't like. But it was kind of uh, therapeutic at the same time.
0: Very interesting. Wow. So after you had released the book, uh, you decided to put it into audio. Can you talk about the process of what that was like from the standpoint of, you know, how many auditions did you get and what was it like hearing narrators interpret your characters that, you know, really, truly, as you just explained, are pieces of you? The
1: the process was um, intimidating, I would say. Um, it's, It's it's scary. I mean, just writing a book and putting it out there, right? there's there's obviously pieces of you inside of that manuscript. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, you say, okay, here, I'm gonna hand it over to you and you're gonna tell me, interpret it back to me. Um, and so I got about 30 auditions. And um, I mean, you, you know, instantly, the second you hit play and that, even almost as soon as that first word comes out, you're like, nope, or I want to hear more. And it's more about does it sound like the voice in my head? And that's kind of how I took it. It's like, does this sound like just an extension of how I hear the book? And, and that's really where I went with it.
0: Excellent. It's always interesting as a narrator, trying to get into the head of the author without ever having a chance to talk with them before auditions of what they were kind of thinking and how they wanted the book to feel. Your book is pretty easy to interpret in that these characters wear their emotions on their sleeves, and your, your writing style makes you just write part of the action, whether it's a, a, a battle scene, whether it's an intimate moment between a couple of characters, you know, where they're just kind of bearing their souls and being honest with each other because they're in this situation where they don't know if they're going to live or die. Before we continue with this episode, let's step aside for a moment to hear more about SER Classroom, a sponsor of Let's Talk with Scott Ellis. Learning to become a narrator or voice actor just
2: got easier. The SER Classroom is a self-paced, video-based program with weekly live meetings with Scott and other mentors in this program. You could learn how to become a narrator or voice actor by watching YouTube, or you could cut through it all, learn from one person, and have a team of mentors to help and talk directly with the teacher. I joined the classroom, and I learned much more about Audacity than I ever have just learning by myself when I used to do a bunch of freelance voice actor work. And what I like best about the classroom is that it isn't indeed self-paced. There's no deadline. If you have um, obligations one day and can't do any of the classes, that's fine. It'll save your progress. And it's also very informal. Visit www.serclassroom.com to learn more or email scott at Ellisreads.com to set up a one-on-one conversation before you jump in. We
0: look forward to seeing you in the classroom. If you're interested in becoming a voice actor or audiobook narrator, I hope you'll reach out to the classroom. Let's continue with today's episode. So the title of the book has stories from the free city book one. I'd like to know two things. Can you talk more about the meaning of free city? And does that mean there is a book two?
1: Yeah. So uh, the the free city. Uh, So this is an interesting concept. And and I thought actually back to World War Two as kind of the the genesis of the idea. And you take free cities like the free city of Danzig, right? Like after World War One, um, it got separated from from Germany as a way to kind of break up the power that Germany had in World War I. Uh, and so uh, as I was writing this, the, the the first thing I actually wrote was the the description of Titan's well, the free city or one of the seven free cities. And it takes place after a civil war. And and there was the same process as, uh, you know, this massive galactic government had kind of imposed its will on thousands of star systems and they all kind of fought back and and they created this uneasy truce to where they're like, okay, you're still in power because you kind of hold all the cards, but we're going to move some functions to places called free cities so that you don't have jurisdiction over them. And so that's just kind of where it came from. And and because Jack is telling the stories um, while he's aboard one of these free cities, I just thought it was an interesting callback to one, the first t- book and also uh, a different you know time and place in history. Uh, and then as far as uh, book two, there is a book two. I actually just published it. Uh, I am uh, super excited about book two. It is completely different than book one. Uh, I wanted to uh, really go full bore sci-fi and just tackle different themes. If the first book, the themes are life and death. This next one is more about, um, you know, your responsibility to uh, your fellow man or your fellow races. And if you're in a position to, make positive change you should and then like all great you know classic sci-fi there is a a undertone of like spirituality and and, uh religion that you kind of see through this book uh through the lens of different characters and different species and how they interpret it Hmm. so very excited about this book
0: all right so i have to know does it have a split setting like you know like this first book did where it was part in world war ii but it was being retold uh, hundreds of years later, right?
1: Uh, yeah, very far in the future. Yeah. yeah. So it's exactly the same setup. So you, you start off with, um, essentially Xander back in the free city, getting ready to document another story from Jack. Um, and in this one, I, there's, I don't hide any of the mystery behind it. Like, you know, if you read the first one, you, you already know the, the setup, so I, I they go right into it. He explains when this happens from when they are and when the first book and, and then he kind of jumps right into it. But yeah, it, it is the same setup, where it's bookended by this um, kind of interview.
0: OK, so the the history of World War Two, is this something that you've always studied? Are you a, a history buff by nature? Because uh, you had to do a lot of research because it, you're not old enough to remember World War Two.
1: Uh, no, I am not. Um, I had grandparents who, who fought in World War II. Um, it's always been an interesting time. Uh, I mean, it's this kind of moment in human history where they kind of haven't quite developed a moral compass yet to, to where you have these crazy ideologies that sprung up around the world all at the same time. And they had the technology to kind of see their ideologies through in a massive scale. Um, and so it created just massive, horrible events. Um, but then you also saw another side where the other part of the humanity kind of rose up and said, We're not going to allow this to happen. This isn't going to be the future of our species. And so it's this just crazy time in history where humans are trying to figure out, honestly, what they're going to be. And uh, so I thought it was a, a great time to focus in on a book about life and death to, to pick that time period where there are so much of that happening. But focusing only on a few, like a, a, a really personal experience around it.
0: Yeah, when Nate and I were talking about setting up this interview and talking about the different elements of the book, I asked him for a quote, and I know the quote. I haven't read it yet, but I'm I'm seeing the thread through your writing process, through your process of uh, bringing the book into audio, and then also the process that the characters go through. So, I'd like to share this quote with our listeners and have you tell us why it kind of is so important to you and how it might guide you a little bit. It's cuz I think it's it's pretty fitting. The quote is it isn't always about the destination. More often it's about the journey and how it changes you. Perseverance doesn't happen by simply completing a task. It happens by weathering the challenges on the path you walk. And it's tributed to Barack. Can you talk about the quote and who this character is?
1: Yeah, that's a quote from the second book. And um, to me, that sums up a lot of what we do in life. Um, And and really, it also sums up kind of uh, Jack's focus in the second book. He's so focused on completing the kind of the task that he's forgetting to really enjoy what's happening around him and the people he's with. So that hyper-focused on the outcome is preventing him from just being happy in the success he already had and like so many people were always focused on that hitting that goal that the second we hit it we hardly have time to celebrate and we're already thinking about the next goal so that happiness and that fulfillment is always a step away and so I wanted to have that uh kind of that message in this story of enjoy what you're doing now um because it means something right there it's going to change you no matter what you do whether you succeed whether you fail it's rarely the outcome that changes you it's the process that does and so that's kind of the the summary of the the next book and i just love that quote and barak so i loved writing that character He's such an interesting uh like spiritual leader to write and his mentality is kind of opposite of jack's so it was, it was a they had a really great kind of uh relationship of uh, wisdom passing right I would always give Jack wisdom, and Jack would be like, "Okay, thank you." <laughs> so I thought it was great.
0: Yeah, that is great, and it it really does kind of fit the 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 whole process that you've been talking about today. Mm-hmm. Um, when you come across these great characters and these great situations, uh, do you ever have things that don't fit into you know a particular book, and you say, "I'm going to have to hold on to that later," or uh, do they just kind of go by the boards? What happens with those things that come up that don't make it into the books or the books yet
1: yeah um i usually just scrap it um to be honest uh i think of a book as an entire like object um and if i have an idea for that book that doesn't work out i find it hard to put it into another object it's kind of like a like if you're building like a model airplane it's hard to just take one of the pieces from the model and put it on a completely different model and it still feel and look natural so i i try and uh, keep it fresh and and not have these ideas that obviously didn't work once. I don't know if they're going to work again and just dwell on them. So uh, I try it. If it doesn't work, I throw it out. And then when I go to my next book, um, I just think about that book as it's entirely tired. And if a theme can be reused, that's different than like a a section. I just honestly, I I trash it. I don't like to dwell on things that uh, aren't going to work and
0: move on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. I mean, I think that speaks to the confidence you have in yourself as a writer that, uh, you know, you're not going to need to hold on to these ideas and use them later. You'll come up with new ideas when the time comes. Um, there was a a singer from years ago, Joshua Cadison, And I remember him saying that one thing that he learned from his father was to never, never stretch for a rhyme or never make a rhyme, make the theme of the song. And it sounds like you do the same thing with your books if it if it doesn't work i'm just going to you know put it aside and and not try and work the book so that this idea comes in so i think that's that's fantastic I, th- I think it says that you're you're true to your purpose and where you're trying to take this book and you don't kind of get sidetracked by the noise that can kind of try and find its way in so um Nate, you've got a, a fantastic story here, uh, and, and it's told so well, it's written so well, and it's such a a fun kind of escape from reality for a little bit of time. It's called The Fountain of Youth Stories from the Free City, book one. I hope when uh, book two is, is out and has some traction, you'll come back and, and we'll be able to talk about that one, too, and find out what happens with these characters.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um and we talked about that when we were doing the kind of the narration for this one is I mean, I was deep into writing book 2 when when we picked this up and so that was a weird process, right? It took me like 30 days to write this book, which is insane to me now. I don't know how I did it. I don't know what possessed me to not sleep for 30 days and just write this book. I think it was more of the fear of not being able to finish that kind of that kind of drove me on. But book 2, I took a way more methodical approach and took me like 8 months. Um, but it is a vastly larger story. Um, and, uh, you know, I just wanted to give it its time it deserved. So I took a way different pace with book two. But yeah, we talked about that when, in, in book one is, hey, once once we're in a place and, you know, we're financially stable to do it, we're going to do it. And I, I wanted you to, to uh, I was up front with you like, hey, I, if I hire a narrator, right, I want them to see the product through because personally, I love audiobooks but I hate it when, there's a book one and a book two, and the narrators are different, right? It kind of breaks the reality a little bit, and uh, I don't want that. I want my readers um, and listeners to um, be invested, right? And I think you did a great job with the characters, so uh, I want that to continue, obviously.
0: Well, I really appreciate the the compliment, and I, I say that it's far easier to narrate well-written material where it's very clear what the characters are thinking and what the author had in mind, you know, and as we were going through this process, um, we had very little uh, material that we had to redo because you said, no, that's not how I see it, you know. Uh, I'm thinking of of one character, particular uh, Arliss, that uh, mm-hmm. we did kind of reimagine, um, and I, I think, you know, it, it came out so much better than my first attempt with your input and your say. So um, so this is great. This will give people an opportunity to to read or listen to book one, uh, and then they should be done with that right on time to, to jump into book two. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens with these characters because you do get to know and love them. So um, it'll be a, a very interesting ride. So Nate, I want to thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been so nice talking with you, and uh, I hope uh, you know the book is, is selling great because it is a story that people really need to hear or read. Thanks again for your time today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Scott, and I, I, I love talking to you.
0: It is time for another episode of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Production. We're talking with Chip Hughes. He's the author of the Surfing Detective series and the creator of the character Kai Cook. Chip, welcome back.
3: Thanks, Scott. It's great to be here.
0: So, you know, we've all had things happen that seem disastrous at the moment, and we can laugh about them now. Tell us something from your background that fits in that genre.
3: Well, you know, I think, Scott, when we started doing the uh, surfing detective audiobooks with uh, Murder on Molokai, I don't think maybe either of us realized the challenge of the, uh, the pigeon words, um, the Hawaiian language, the Hawaiian place names. And I think you might have um, narrated a, a chapter, two as a sample and ran it by me. And uh, then at that point, since you've never lived in Hawaii, you hadn't been in Hawaii and hadn't heard the way that Hawaiians speak and, and local People speak uh, uh, that we knew that we had to kind of go into the woodshed and and start from from ground zero and get the pronunciations right. And so uh, I think we went out and uh, found some some videos and some audio about how how uh, people pronounce uh, words in in Hawaii and the Hawaiian words and names. And then you uh, you really spent a lot of time getting your chops like like a good musician. Uh, to get it right, to nail it, uh, to nail it cold, and you, you after a while, you really did master those words. And I remember I would send you a list of the words I thought would be uh, would be a challenge, and give you a pronunciation or send you an audio. And uh, eventually, with all your efforts, it, it worked out. And for somebody who's never been here yet, and we're hoping you're coming and you're staying with us uh, <laughs> when you come, you and Josie. Uh, they really came out great. And the other instance was uh, the one character, the the Australian character in Kula, and uh, that Australian accent that you uh, uh, went back into the woodshed and just absolutely nailed the Australian. So I'm uh, I'm forever grateful to you for the efforts that you put into getting those languages that aren't your native language uh, right for the books.
0: Yeah. So if I can step into my teaching role for a moment, uh, you know, for narrators and authors who are looking to work together, uh, I think Chip and I are a good example of how relationships are key. We take the time before we start a book to talk about the, the words. We send audio files back and forth of, you know, Chip will send me pronunciations and then I'll pronounce the words back and and kind of get them cleared. We do the same thing with character voices and kind of some of the attitudes of the characters. So uh, for narrators that are getting started, uh, I cannot say enough about relationship, 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 and communication. And um, hopefully what you just heard is uh, something that you can put in practice with your authors and rights holders so that... Everybody is happy with the final product, and that is going to turn into uh, repeat clients for you and good referrals from happy clients. So, uh, Chip Hughes, thank you very much for your time today and, and sharing those stories. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk with you.
3: Thanks, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: I'd like to thank my guests today, Nathaniel Warner, author of The Fountain of Youth, and Chip Hughes, author of the Surfing Detective series. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time.